We, uh, we're going to continue our Advent series. This is week three is the season of Advent. Someone asked me, what does Advent mean? It just means the coming of or the anticipation of, the expectation. And um, as, we, as we've been doing in this series, if you have a question that you would like to ask about the relevant to the message or relevant to what we're speaking about this morning, I invite you to, you can go ahead and text a question to me and we will do our best to answer at the end of the service uh, if we have time at the end of the message. If you've got a Bible, I'd like you to find Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 29. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 29. And I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. It's a very uh, familiar short parable that Jesus shares at the end of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' most uh, recognized teaching. And here as he summarizes or wraps up his teaching, he says this, Matthew The first gospel, chapter 7, verse 24. Jesus says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and does not obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand, and when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. We thank the Lord for his word. You may be seated together. Two weeks ago, we introduced the Advent seasons and by talking about this is Jesus and we we talked about meeting Jesus. Last week we talked about hearing Jesus. Today I want to talk about believing Jesus. These words I read are Jesus' words recorded for us. They are perhaps almost too familiar for us uh, to understand the impact and significance. If you grew up in church and a Sunday school student, you might have sung, uh, sung a little song about the, the uh, wise man who built his house upon the rock. Wise man built his house upon the rock. Remember that song? Some of you remember that? Um, and the rains came tumbling down as the floods came up. Remember that? But imagine if anyone else said, said that of their own teaching. I mean, just imagine if I said, Listen, friends, I've got some things to tell you that, that I've come up with that are, are going to sustain you in all the storms of your life. Now, you might believe it if, if maybe, you know, Tony Robbins would say that because he's just so, so persuasive. But even then, you'd say, that's crazy. That's, that's ridiculous. No, nobody can, nobody's words can sustain you in life. And yet Jesus makes that claim. That what I teach you, if you'll obey it, will sustain you through the storms of your life. Jesus didn't say, listen to me, I've got some helpful guidelines uh, for your life. I've got some life hacks to make things a little easier for you. Right? He didn't say that. Jesus said, if you'll establish your entire life on hearing and obeying my words, you'll succeed in life. That's an audacious claim. And in this Advent season, you're going to meet plenty of people who like Jesus, but in a Facebook-like kind of way. They like some of what Jesus said. The Democrats think Jesus is on their side, and, and the Republicans assume Jesus is on theirs, right? Rebels and citizens alike will pick and choose the sayings they want, and offering, often ignoring most of what Jesus says, just so they can have Jesus kind of in their corner, right? Cultures imagine Jesus in their own skin, 
be it white or various shades of brown, we're often guilty of creating sort of Jesus in our own image. I've got some pictures here of how different people have imagined Jesus. I've got the Hollywood Jesus. He's beautiful. He's just beautiful. I've got the black Jesus. He's like serious and impressive. I've got the Asian Jesus. I, I don't know. He's just staring off into space. That one. I've got the Indian Jesus. This one makes me feel really uncomfortable. I've got a Swedish Jesus. He is really something. Right. And then several years ago, a forensic artist came up with this, what he imagined Jesus might really have looked like in keeping with a Mediterranean Jewish male of that era of that time. Well, we all make Jesus maybe in our own image, but Jesus is way beyond all of that. Right. When Jesus called the 12 disciples, the 12 closest followers, he didn't say, hey, come learn some interesting new things and have self-fulfilling, rewarding experiences with me. No, that's not what he said. He said, follow me to the, to the ones that were fishermen. He says, come on, I'm going to teach you how to fish for people instead of for fish. Bold, wild, life-changing claims. See, Jesus doesn't invite you to simply believe that he exists or to believe that he says nice things, not even to believe that what he says is true. He invites you to believe him. Right? It's an, it's an outrageous position that Jesus takes. Believe in me, Jesus says. Base your life on me and on what I say and do the things that I say so that you'll succeed. It's not simply faith that Jesus is real. It's faith in Jesus, building your life on him, hearing what he has to say and putting it into practice. I want to draw out three fundamental realities from this short passage that we just read, this little parable. And then we're going to look at one episode from the New Testament that kind of puts it all together, sort of illustrates it for us. This short parable of the wise and foolish builder says at least three things that you need to know for your life. One is that your life is a house. Secondly, you choose the foundation for your house. And third, storms will test you. So first, Jesus said, anyone who listens to my teaching, verse 24, and follows it is wise like a person who built a house on solid rock. That tells me this. Your life is a house. What do you mean? Life's a house. Your life is a house. That's the, that's the image. That's the picture for your life is a house. Your house is your worldview, your priorities, your investments of time and money and energy. It's what you value. It's what you consume. It's what you promote. Your house is everything that makes up your life. How you build it is up to you. Some of us build in different ways, in different colors, but your life is your house. And that house is constantly under construction. Sort of like that old Winchester house in, in Santa Cruz. I've never been there, but I've heard about that just while the woman was alive, she just kept it building. And, and it was crazy. Some of what we build makes sense. And like her, some doesn't. Right? Some of our closets are stuffed with things we want to keep hidden. And some important parts of the house we haven't even paid attention to yet. Some of us use new building products. Some of us are, are building with bent nails and, and, and rusty things. But are constantly in, in construction of our house. Your life is a house and you, you are the builder of your house. You're the builder. No one can build your house for you. No one can build your house for you. Although you might even be guilty sometimes, I know I have been, of working off someone else's plans. That doesn't work either. So your life is a house. Secondly, you, Jesus contrasted these two 
foundations, these two kinds of foundation, solid rock and sand. The point is this, that you choose your foundation for the house. You choose the foundation for your house. Some of you feel like, oh, it's all been chosen for me. Okay, some of you have had a really rough start. Some of you had a really great start. And some of you say, well, you know, I I can't get it together because I had I had such a bad start. Listen, you choose the foundation of your house. That's the good news. Jesus says you get to choose your foundation. This amazing claim of Jesus that to hear and to obey him says that to do that will give your life stability. Not everyone will believe that. Right. Some people will build their life on a relationship or on their abilities or on their health. Or on their money. But you know, none of those things are particularly stable or reliable, are they? They don't have the stability of hearing and following Jesus. For example, I've heard some people say, you know, I'll hear a guy say of his, of his wife, you know, oh, she's my rock. Well, I know, I know that's meant as a compliment. I know that's kind of a positive thing to say, but honestly, that's not a good foundation. That's not a good foundation. Um, what happens when the relationship struggles or if she should pass away suddenly or what if she decides to become someone else's rock? You're in trouble, right? You can't make these things, your health, your finances. Some of you maybe felt like finances were your rock and then 2008 came. And I tell you where the Dow is at right now, it's probably coming again anytime soon, right? You can't make those things your rock. Jesus has to be. Jesus said such things as love your neighbor, be kind without return, store treasure in heaven, not on earth. Keep your word. Don't retaliate. Pray for your enemies. Your obedience to Jesus secures your life. But it's up to you to choose that, to choose that foundation. Third kind of little point I want to important point I want to pull out of this is that Jesus said, you see it there, though the rains come in torrents, Verse 25, and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house. It won't collapse because it's built on bedrock, on solid rock. Friends, storms will test your life. Storms will test your life. Now, does a foundation really matter in a storm? I mean, aren't the walls more important and the roof? Wouldn't that kind of matter most in a storm? Well, everything is important, of course. But a house without a solid foundation will twist and crack in the storm. The best walls and roof will not last in a storm without a solid foundation. If you've been through any storms lately, some of you have been through financial storms, even this year. Some of you have been through marital storms or the storm of loss and grief or the storm of rebellious kids or the storm of job loss or health turmoil. If you've truly built your house on solid rock, the solid rock of hearing and obeying what Jesus says, you'll curse the storm. But you'll praise the foundation. If your storm is causing you to collapse instead, if you're collapsing in your storm, I'd urge you to examine that foundation you're standing on, you're building on. Is it the foundation of hearing and obeying Jesus? How about this? Let's read one of the accounts of Jesus and his apostles and his disciples. And they're in an actual storm in this episode. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 14. So you're going to go uh, several chapters to the right. 
It's in the same book of Matthew. And we're going to be in Matthew 14, starting at verse 22. And in this actual storm, we're going to see what happens when Peter gets to hear and obey the actual words of Jesus in real time. All right, so we're sort of applying these things that Jesus said as we turn to Matthew 14. Starting at verse 22. They've been with Jesus. Jesus has, has done this amazing miracle of taking um, five loaves of bread and two fish and feeding 5,000 people with that. And after this, verse 22, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. Some of you have been to that lake of Galilee. How many of you have been to that lake of Galilee? It's, it's not a small lake. It's a big lake. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. And night fell while he was there alone. Last week, we talked about how Jesus... Um, needed to hear his father speak to him. Verse 24. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. All right. So here's the storm. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified in their fear. They cried out, it's a ghost. Now, let me just pause for a minute. Do you ever wonder what Jesus was thinking? I mean, was there just a little bit of them that said, I wonder how they're going to react to this? I don't, I don't know, but it's a great moment. And Jesus, verse 27, spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Or literally, I am. And then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. I wonder what Peter was hoping for. Yes, come, says Jesus. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he's, verse 30, when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? And when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped And then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. Just again, as a little side note, one of those moments when you know that Jesus understood that he was God because he accepted their worship. No one can accept worship without being a blasphemer unless they are God himself. Only God deserves worship. So that moment, any time in scripture you see someone bowing down in worship, If it's not God, if it's not Jesus, they say, don't worship me. But Jesus does not reject their worship. Why? Because he's God and he knows it. So that's just kind of an aside for you if you're wondering. Well, there's so much happening in this amazing episode. In particular, this this was a test of faith in the midst of a storm, a real storm. Would the disciples and would Peter in particular be able to trust Jesus, would Peter have the foundation that he needed? Part of this touches back to last Sunday when we talked about hearing Jesus. The, the fear the disciples felt was normal. Okay, if you had been in that boat, you would have been afraid. 
These are experienced fisher people. They've been on the boat all their life and they're afraid. That tells me this was a severe storm. It's in the middle of the night. It's out in the middle of the lake. It's These are big waves. And then someone comes walking out across on the water. So either they're imagining something or it's a ghost because people don't walk on water. So yes, fear in storms is normal. If you're facing something in your health, your finances, in some other way with your kids or something, and you're like nervous about how's this going to go, I'm scared. I want to tell you, you're normal. But Jesus says, don't be afraid. It's, it's the voice of Jesus that calms them down. They recognize the voice of the good shepherd. And that was enough to settle their fear. The storm didn't stop, right? Jesus was still doing this crazy walk on water thing, but hearing his voice made it okay. I don't know if you've heard the voice of Jesus in your storm. And if you have, I would bet a thousand to one. I'm not a betting man, but if I was, I would bet that Jesus is saying something like, don't worry, don't be afraid, trust me, I'm here. You see, we see that Peter's foundation, the foundation for his life was to hear and to obey Jesus. But notice what happens first, right? In verse 28, Peter called out to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. It wasn't Jesus' idea for Peter to step out of the boat. Peter came up with that on his own. That was his idea. And often, we already know what we need to do. We've got that nudge. We've got that sense. We've heard it. We've told other people what they need to do. We often already know what God is stirring in us, how we need to take, kind of step out in faith. And, and, you know, maybe that's you. Maybe you've known for years already something you're, you're, you're supposed to do and you're waiting for the right moment or, or maybe we're just afraid. We don't want to get out. And, and so we say, well, Lord, if it's really you, if it's really you, tell me to, to do Make it clear. And then Jesus says, go ahead, step out of the boat. Step into the storm. Step onto the waves. Trust me, in the most outrageous circumstance. Jesus invited Peter to do what Peter already wanted to do for Jesus. The humanly impossible, nobody can do this kind of thing to get out and walk on the water. I know for anyone between the ages of, let's say, 35 and 50, you recognize this as a matrix moment, right? This is a, this is a red pill, red pill, blue pill challenge. Like, what am I gonna do here? Am I gonna take the unknown? Or am I gonna stay in the safety of the boat? Peter was willing to do what his friends would not even consider doing. His friends, none of his friends said, oh yeah, I was thinking about doing that. No. There, they, you could just imagine like, Peter, what are you doing now? No, Peter. Peter just has eyes on Jesus. He's listening to Jesus. And Jesus says, okay, come on out. Is there something you've wanted to step out in faith, but you're waiting for Jesus to say, yes, yes, come out on the water. A job change, fostering or adopting a child. Maybe selling everything to go to the mission field, going to Bible college. Maybe you want to tag along with Gary Preeb next time he goes on a trip, right? 
Maybe it's inviting a neighbor to journey to Bethlehem. There's something and, and you're waiting for Jesus to say, yes, do it. Peter, meanwhile, did. He did it. He climbed out of the boat onto a stormy lake and he walked on water. He walked on water. Think about that. Peter talked to Jesus. He listened to Jesus. He looked at Jesus. And as long as he did, as long as he heard and obeyed, he did the impossible. In the natural, it was crazy. And God may invite you to, into situations that people around you are going to say, you're crazy. Don't do that. I've done that a few times. We were a young family with a, with a little baby and we moved from one country to another to go to seminary. It was crazy. We didn't know how we were going to support ourselves or anything. Right? Then we went church planting. That was crazy. I took my wife and two little kids overseas for five months to help out with something. That was crazy. All these dumb things. There have been other crazy things we've done. But following Jesus is not about staying safe or getting affirmation. Peter, Peter didn't believe in Jesus as a good idea. He didn't believe in Jesus just as a good friend or a self-help guru. He literally, and I mean that now, I'm not, not exaggerating, he literally put his life on the line for Jesus. He climbed out of the boat at night in a storm, with no life vest, into the waves, all because Jesus had said, yes, come on, you can do this. And then, and then in the moment that he took a view in the natural, that, oh no, what am I doing moment, down he went. And verse 31 records that Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? I'll tell you why we doubt. We doubt because walking on the water is nuts. That's crazy. That's why we doubt. But Jesus said, why did you have so little faith? If that was a little faith to walk on water... What would much faith accomplish? He had so little faith. You're just walking on water, Peter. Why did you doubt? Think about all the things that we say can't happen. Right? The church can't grow. My neighbor, my friend won't ever come to Christ. We can't invite the neighborhood to events. We can't improve our campus. We can't send missionaries to the Philippines. We can't, we can't, we can't. And in the natural, maybe not. We're not called to do what we can do in the natural. We're to do the impossible, to do the things that couldn't be done if Jesus wasn't doing them through us. In your life, in your family, in your church, in your workplace. Otherwise, we wouldn't need Jesus at all, would we? If we could just do it all ourselves, what would we need him for? So why couldn't this church make Christ Jesus known in this neighborhood? Why couldn't we make an eternal impact in the schools? Why couldn't we use the arts or sports or academics to reach into the lives of children and youth with the good news that Jesus saves? Why couldn't we develop you know, new facilities that help us do a better job of making Christ known in our community? Why couldn't we step up and lead in our denomination to fulfill the Great Commission more effectively? All those things are impossible in the natural. But when Jesus says, come step out on the water, it can happen. With faith, Peter acted on the truth that he was building his life on hearing and obeying Jesus. 
And so he did the impossible, even in the storm. We live in a stormy world and we live in stormy times. It's no problem for the Savior. But it begins all back to that parable where Jesus said, a wise person, a wise person is like someone who builds their house on the rock of hearing and obeying Jesus, while the foolish person builds their house on the sand of ignoring Jesus. Where are you today? Where, how are you building? What's your foundation? What are you putting together? Are you building your house? Are you trying to build off someone else's plans? Are you standing back and criticizing other houses? Are you building your house and are you building on the rock of hearing and obeying Jesus? What if Jesus were to say, yeah, go ahead, step out of the boat. Would you do it? Your life? Your life is a house. And you choose the foundation. And storms are normal. But that doesn't mean we stop building the house. So which builder shall we be? Wise? Or foolish? Will we believe Jesus? Or not? Before we pray, I just want to ask Stephen if we have any questions today that we can look at in light of today's passage. Yeah, we've got one question here this morning. It reads as follows. This is more of reflecting what we learned last week about hearing Jesus. Recently, I was reading Luke 6, verse 48. This is the same as the message this morning, the parallel passage. I don't think this is a coincidence. Instead, this is Jesus speaking to me. The hard thing is to obey 100%. How do we practice that 3% that we really have a hard time to obey and do it? So in other words, how do we we obey in that other 3%? Yeah. Well, if it's only 3%, you're doing pretty well. For one thing, most of us are more on the 50-50% line. Um, You know, I think one of the the key things is that um, when we try to do this alone we're less likely to succeed. So, you know, the Lord might be... Um, let, let's. What, what would be a good example? Let's say... Um, you know, let's say you're, you're, uh, you have someone that you're just really burdened for. You, you want to um, share the gospel with them in some way. Well, if it's just kind of a deal between you and the Lord... It's really tough to get to that place of obedience. But if you have enlisted the help of a couple of people, let's say you're in a connection group and you've said to your connection group, you know, I'm just, I'm just really have a burden for my friend Joe and I'm just going to ask you guys, would you pray for me and I, that the Lord would help me invite Joe to journey to Bethlehem, let's say, and uh, check with me back week, back next week to see if I'll do it. Something about life in the community with that accountability is, is a huge help in that. And to recognize that it is a perpetual struggle of growth. It might be some kind of stronger areas of, uh, let's say, addiction or something else. But probably the greatest thing is accountability of some others in your life that can help you do that. Okay, that's it for this week. All right. Church, let's stand together as we close in prayer. Appreciate your questions. Thank you so much. I hope there's something in here that kind of stirs for you if you have never come to that place in your life of trusting Jesus in the first place let me let me explain just the kinds of things that Gary was talking about before he talked about the gospel message what does that mean here it is god 
created you in his image. He loves you. But there's there's a problem in the story. The problem is something called sin. Sin is those things that we do from our very birth. It's in our nature to do things that are we Bible called rebellion, sin, where we do our own way instead of doing God's way. That means we're separated from God by our sin. So that's the problem. What's the solution? The solution is to get connected back to God, but we can't do it because we're not perfect. So God had a way. He sent his son, Jesus, who we celebrated this time of year. It's called the incarnation where Jesus, the son of God, was born as a human. And he lived a perfect, sinless life. And at the end of his life, he was crucified. He was nailed to a cross. And in that process, there was a transaction. The Bible says he took on all our sin or he became sin for us. And there's an exchange so that we could be the righteousness of God. Our sin always has a cost, always has a penalty, always has a consequence. And you can pay the consequence or you can let someone else pay it. The consequence of your sin is death. And Jesus said, I will take your death for you so that you can have life. But here's the third piece. So the, the, the problem is we're separated from God with sin. The solution is that someone needs to pay for that price. The action is decision time. Will you receive the forgiveness that Jesus has made available through the cross? Or do you want to just pay the price yourself and suffer eternal separation from God? It's not complicated, but it's your choice. Now, for virtually everyone in this room, you've heard that a thousand times. But I want you to know that still is true. And maybe that's something you need to share with a family member or a loved one or a neighbor or a coworker. But maybe someone here you said, I have never come to that place of trusting Jesus Christ for my salvation. Today would be a great day to do that. As I close in prayer, I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond. When I say, if you want to receive Jesus today, you just put your hand up and we'll pray with you after the service. The rest of us, our challenge is this. What are we building on today? What are we building on? What's your rock? What are you counting on to get you through the storm? Let's pray. God, we're grateful that you love us so much and we celebrate it now at this season of year and we have gifts and decorations and candles and lights and all that stuff's really great but we do not want to miss the essence of this that jesus you came for us and we just give you our praise for that today lord i ask that you would be stirring in us this this deep desire to build our life on the sure foundation of hearing and obeying your words let that be true. God, where there are places where we're ignoring you, where we're, where we're putting sand in the foundation, Lord, I pray that you would show us what that is and help us to make those changes that we need to. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of proclaiming you. Lord, this week as Journey to Bethlehem launches on Wednesday, God, we ask that your gracious hand would be over that whole event. God, that you would be gracious in providing great weather this week. God, that you'd be gracious in keeping cast members healthy all week. God, that you'd be gracious that there'd be no, no incidents or accidents on the site. Lord, that, that you were, your hand of kindness would be over that so that each person that comes through gets to hear in a fresh way the message of your incarnation and salvation for us. God, help us to be a church that just holds the light up high for the benefit of all people. And finally, church, if you are somebody that you've never given your life to Christ and you want to do that today, I just invite you to just lift your hand up high and we'll pray with you after the service. And for the rest of us, the challenge is, what are you building your house on today? Would you step out of the boat if Jesus invited you to do so? God, we give you our praise. We thank you.
for your presence here today. What a privilege to be together. In Jesus' name, amen.